No, the reality is, I'm dead, I'm laying at the bottom of the ocean, I have no hope in the world. And God pulls me out of the ocean, breathes life into me, and He says, Today, you are a new creature. Old things are passed away, all things are become new. The same voice that said, Lazarus, come forth from the tomb, said to me when I was five years old, Andrew, I have called you to be mine. And he's still calling people today. As we often say at Christmas time, wise men still seek him. Why? Because if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally and abradeth not. But let him ask in faith nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a ship on the sea. May we ask of God for wisdom because he gives it to us freely. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Ruth, chapter 4. The book of Ruth, chapter 4. Uh, we're finishing up this book study. In previous studies, we have talked about Ruth chapter 1, man plans, God directs. Ruth chapter 2, God provides for his own. So in Ruth chapter 1, man had a plan. He went to Moab against God's plan to save his people. That was Abimelech. He and his sons die. His sons are childless. So Ruth and Orpah are left widows. Orpah stays in Moab. Ruth goes with Naomi back to Bethlehem. And God directs them and shows watch care over them. Then we see further in Ruth chapter 2, God provides for his own as he always does. The psalmist says, I, am, I was young and now I'm old. And I've never seen the righteous begging bread. Now, I'm not going to make a prosperity gospel tie to this verse because, of course, we know there is poverty in parts of the world and even for some people here in the United States. But basically what it is telling us is that when we follow God, he will give us provision. Now, the key for us to know is that wants are not needs. And we sometimes conflate that. So sometimes I can look at my life and I can say, I don't have everything I want. And so God is not good. But I have everything that I need. And through the COVID pandemic, one thing we all learned was the true statement of give us this day our daily bread. I reflected often since that happened that I was in my home for 82 straight days. And if you had told me on that first day, you're going to be in your house for 82 straight days, I would have said, you are absolutely crazy. There's no way I can do it. But days come one at a time. They don't come in waves. And so God is good and he cares for us. In our third session on Ruth, 
We talked about how Naomi seeks to secure Ruth's future. See, Naomi went back penniless, without anything. And she says, call me not Naomi, but call me Mara, for God has dealt bitterly with his servant. And yet, even though she felt that God had dealt with her bitterly, she still must have had some sort of hidden strength of the joy of the Lord because Ruth's response is, your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. And he, she's committed to this for life. She's like, I'm going to be with you. And so she goes and gleans in the field, and she provides for Naomi from the grain. And Naomi sees what a great person Ruth has become and who she is to her. And she says, I want to secure her future. So she sees that a relationship is blossoming between Boaz and Ruth. In the culture of arranged marriage, such as this is, it can be easy to kind of say, well, maybe this wasn't really what Ruth wanted. But there is a part here in Ruth chapter 3 where Boaz says, thank you for not going after the young men. Basically for not holding my age against me. So you can tell that there is affection there. So that leads us to today, to our fourth message in this series, our final message in this series. And today we are going to consider the fact that Boaz keeps his promise. Boaz is a promise keeper. And I want to start out today by just telling you some of the points of another uh, message that I did on the life of Boaz. I found four things that we as men can learn from Boaz. The first is that Boaz put others first. What does God call men to do? He says, love your wife as Christ also loved the church. To protect and guard her. We as men need to be protectors in this culture. Boaz was focused on the right things. He was focused on the things of God. When he greeted his reapers, he said, the Lord be with you. And they reciprocated and said, also with you. The Bible says out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so when Boaz was speaking, he was speaking from a heart full of God. And it trickled down to his employees. Boaz was determined. Boaz was determined to do the right thing. When Ruth came to him at his at Naomi's behest, he said, "Don't worry, I will play the part of the kinsman redeemer if the nearer kinsman can't do so." And then the final point, Boaz was a redeemer. He did what he needed to do 
to redeem and save Ruth and Naomi from their penniless plight and to raise up progeny for Elimelech. And he actually became the great, 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 several greats, grandfather in the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ because of his obedience. So that brings us to Ruth chapter 4. We're going to see the fulfillment, the, the culmination of this story. If you watch mystery shows or you've seen a mystery play or you've, or you've read a mystery book, this may be considered the denouement, which means the climax. We, we're going to find out how this ends. Very thankful that Ruth doesn't end with chapter 3, but that chapter 4 is here for us. So the first six verses talk about Boaz and his interaction with the nearer kinsmen. Interestingly enough, there is no name given to this nearer kinsman. I'm just going to read these first six verses and then I'll open in a word of prayer quickly. It says, Then went Boaz up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the kinsman of whom Boaz spake came by, unto whom he said, Ho, such an one, turn aside, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit ye down here. And they sat down. And he said unto the kinsman, Naomi that is come again out of the country of Moab selleth a parcel of land which is which was our brother Elimelech's. And I thought to advise thee, saying, Buy it before the inhabitants and before the elders of my people. If thou wilt redeem it, redeem it. But if thou wilt not redeem it, then tell me that I may know, for there is none to redeem it beside thee, and I am after thee. And he said, I will redeem it. Then said Boaz, What day... Thou buyest the field of the hand of Naomi, thou must also buy it also of Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance. And the kinsman said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I mar my own inheritance. Redeem thou my right to thyself, for I cannot redeem it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we open your word and we read the final chapter of the story of Ruth. May we be emboldened to be men and women of God, to stand in the gap, to be known for speaking the truth. And as um, Pastor Todd prayed earlier that we would be changed individuals for having been here, I echo those sentiments. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, So we have here... In this first six verses, some interesting aspects. The first one I want to point out is that Boaz goes up to the gate and he sits down at the gate. And he commands such respect for the people there in Bethlehem that when this nearer kinsman walks by, he says, sit down. And the guy doesn't say, I'm too busy to sit down today. I'll talk to you tomorrow. I'll get back to you within the week. He sits down. 
I think that speaks to the character of Boaz. And then not only does this man sit down, but Boaz gets 10 other men as witnesses to sit down. So now you have 11 men sitting down, listening to Boaz. And he talks about Naomi selling this land for her livelihood. And he says, you are the near kinsman. If you're going to buy the land, buy it. And he says, initially, I will buy it. Now, Boaz is being shrewd here because he doesn't front load the situation about Naomi and Ruth. He first starts just talking about the land. And of course, this near kinsman, who again... um, doesn't have his name listed. Some would say it's to save him from the embarrassment of not being willing to fulfill his duty. And so, but for whatever reason, he's not named. And so then Boaz goes for the jugular and he says, well, if you're going to take the land and buy it before these witnesses, then you have to take Ruth as your wife to raise up seed for Abimelech. This is a great sacrifice for Boaz because Boaz realizes that not only will he take Ruth as his wife, but his first child with Ruth will not be considered his, but will be considered the seed of Abimelech. This is the height of sacrifice. Philippians chapter 2 tells us, let each esteem other better than ourselves. And let us look not only on our own interests, but on the interests of others. Boaz was such a man as to look on the interests of others. And it didn't just start with chapter 4. It started way back in the beginning of this book in the beginning of chapter 2, particularly when Ruth happens upon the field. Do you think that was an accident? The phraseology is she just happened to come upon the field of Boaz. But I think there was an unseen hand guiding and directing her to that field. And when she came upon the field of Boaz, she came upon not only a kind man in Boaz, but kind employees of Boaz. Because they adapted his attitude. And Boaz shows kindness first for his employees and then for Ruth. And he says, let no man touch her. And he even says, throw her some extra grain. And then when he talks to Ruth, he says, I have heard it said of you that you are a woman of high virtue. And that you have taken refuge under the wings of the God of Israel. So he is acknowledging the woman of character that Ruth is. Isn't it interesting? There's nothing about Ruth's physical appearance in this book. Yet Boaz is convinced beyond all doubt that he needs her in his life and that she needs him. What a wonderful 
society we would have if we would realize how much we need each other. Just a few notes about this. It says, Boaz took hold of ten men from the elders to serve as witnesses, although only two or three witnesses were needed for judicial proceedings. And centuries later, ten became the number for a Jewish marriage benediction or a quorum for a synagogue meeting. For an official prayer meeting in modern Judaism, ten men are required. The point is, there was a time in history when few written records were kept, and attestation by a number of witnesses was the most efficient way to be certain that a transaction was made legally secure. So Boaz says, I'm not going to just take three, I'm going to take ten. He wants to be really sure that this is above board and by the book. Now, we might be looking at this and we might say, well, he should just secretly marry Ruth and, and let the, the law go. But Boaz was a man of God and he was determined to do the right thing. For a little bit of context about what we're reading about, can we look at Leviticus chapter 25, verses 23 to 25? Leviticus 25, 23 to 25. And for people that aren't familiar with the way I like to do these cross-references, if you find the verse, please stand up and read it real loud so everyone can hear it. This helps me so I don't have to turn in my Bible so much. And then also hopefully helps to keep you awake. So we have a few verses here, but the first one is Leviticus 25, 23 to 25. The land must not be sold permanently because the land is mine and you reside in my land as foreigners and strangers. Throughout the land that you hold as a possession, you must provide for redemption of the land. If one of your fellow Israelites becomes poor and sells some of their property, their nearest relative is to come and redeem what they have sold. So God put this provision that Boaz is following into place many years before during the odyssey of the children of Israel through the wilderness. And he said, this is how you are to deal with the land. If someone has to sell it, then a near kinsman can come and claim it again. Deuteronomy 25, 5 and 6. Deuteronomy 25, 5 and 6. Brothers live on the same property and one of them dies without a son. The wife of the dead man may not marry a stranger outside the family. The brother-in-law is to take her as his wife, have sexual relations with her, and perform the duty of a brother-in-law for So again, this is a way that God had to keep the children of Israel pure. Now I want to make a point here, and that is that the prohibition against marrying someone outside of the commonwealth of Israel was not because the Israelites were inherently superior. It was because God did not want his people to be swayed away from God. 
The reason that Ruth was able to be married by Boaz was because she had proven already that she was committed to the God of Israel. And so she had already renounced Moab. She said, your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. This is an important point. And there is a spiritual parallel in all this for us. Can we look at Ephesians 1, 4 to 7? Ephesians 1, 4 to 7. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight, in, in love. He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to, pray, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood and forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. So in many ways, Boaz is a picture of Christ. Because we were poor and destitute, Bible says we were dead in trespasses and sins. The relationship that we have with Jesus is not one where I'm 80% good, but if I accept Jesus, then the remaining 20% is taken care of. No, the reality is I'm dead, I'm laying at the bottom of the ocean, I have no hope in the world. And God pulls me out of the ocean, breathes life into me, and he says, Today you are a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. The same voice that said, Lazarus, come forth from the tomb, said to me when I was five years old, Andrew, I have called you to be mine. And he's still calling people today. As we often say at Christmas time, wise men still seek him. Why? Because if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally and abradeth not. But let him ask in faith nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a ship on the sea. May we ask of God for wisdom. Because he gives it to us freely. My second point. Boaz redeems Ruth. Okay, so now we, we've realized that the smear kinsman can't do the redemption for whatever reason. We don't know why. Some have speculated that he might have been married already. And so he couldn't enter into a marriage with Ruth. I had the thought as I'm reading this. Uh, this past week that perhaps it was because Ruth was a Moabitess and he did not want to be affiliated with Moab. But for whatever reason, he couldn't go through with the redemption. So, we read in verse 7 to 10, Now this was the manner in former time in Israel concerning redeeming and concerning changing for to confirm all things. A man plucked off his shoe and gave it to his neighbor, and this was a testimony in Israel. Therefore the kinsman said unto Boaz, Buy it for thee. So he drew off his shoe. And Boaz said unto the elders and unto all the people, Ye are witnesses this day. I have bought all that was 
Elimelech's and all that was Killian's and all that was Malan's of the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of Malan, have I purchased to be my wife, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance, that the name of the dead be not cut off from among his brethren. And from the gate of his place, ye are witnesses this day. So Boaz takes off his shoe and gives it to his neighbor. And he says, "This we're doing this ceremony in accordance with Old Testament law. And I am taking the property that belonged to Naomi and I'm also taking Ruth as my wife so that I can raise up seed to Abimelech. So Boaz knows the law and he's following it. Psalm says the law of the Lord is perfect converting the soul. We understand as New Testament believers, that there are parts of the law that were ceremonial and commanded only to the Jews. But we also know that the law was written by God. And God, in His infinite wisdom, planned this as the way to preserve the families of Israel. It was a great thing for Ruth and Naomi to now have security in the land of Naomi's nativity after coming back with nothing. God is so good. I'm reminded of the verse in Ephesians that says, God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think. And so we see that Boaz went to the city gate and shrewdly began the process of acquiring Elimelech's inheritance and Ruth. The other near relative was happy to acquire more land, but not at the cost associated with Ruth. Apparently the inheritance rights also required the Kinmans to raise up a child for the deceased if there were any way possible, any possibility of doing so. Naomi was probably too old to bear a child for Elimelech, but not so to Ruth. The near relative would need to spend assets from his own inheritance to gain Elimelech's land, but the child, when of age, could claim back the purchased land. Thus he determines it is not profitable for him to acquire the land. Boaz, whose circumstances are substantially different, willingly offers to redeem the land and raise up a child to Elimelech. Boaz and his near relative in the presence of witnesses in the gate sealed their transaction by the accepted custom of trading sandals. Once again, the sovereignty of God is seen to extend over all the practical details of everyday life, including strategic legal transactions. And that's from um, Ruth, the, the theology of Ruth, from Baker's Evangelical Dictionary of Biblical Theology. Could we look at Proverbs 31, 10, and 11? Proverbs 31, 10, and 11. 
a wife of noble character who can find. She is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. So I I just was drawn to this passage when thinking about Ruth. Um, there's also another uh passage in Proverbs 31 that talks about her husband being known in the gate and that certainly was Boaz. Proverbs 19.14 Proverbs 19.14 Health and wealth are the inheritance from fathers but a prudent wife is from the Lord. So Boaz was quite obviously pretty well to do. He had the house and wealth but he didn't have the wife. And I'm sure there were women in Israel, but none of them had captured his eye, had come to his attention. Now, it's quite possible that Boaz already had buried a wife um, and that Ruth was his second wife. We don't know that information, um, but it is possible. But whatever the case... Um, and we know that Boaz is older from what we talked about earlier from Ruth chapter 3 thank you for not running after the younger men I may have to use that verse someday we'll see Um, but it's just really interesting how God works things out because Boaz is sitting there in Bethlehem Uh, I don't know how long he was waiting for a wife but then God brings his wife to him from Moab and she ends up in his field Um, so I thought that was really neat and then finally 2 Corinthians 5.21 2 Corinthians 5.21 for it made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him Again, talking about what God did for us when he stood in the gap. um, Because the devil won a victory in the Garden of Eden when he convinced Adam and Eve to sin. And he doomed us all to death. But God promised even back in Genesis chapter 3 that there will be a redeemer. That he will crush the serpent's head. And truly, we live today being able to look back on that. I can only imagine how that must have sounded to Adam and Eve. But we can look back at the glorious fulfillment of that. And we can know that because God has fulfilled all his promises today, that the promises that are yet to be fulfilled are also yes and amen. So our third section, Ruth marries Boaz and gets a blessing. Ruth 4, 11 to 15. And all the people that were in the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. The Lord make the woman that has come into thine house like Rachel and like Leah, which two did build the house of Israel. And... Do thou worthily in Ephrata and be famous in Bethlehem. And let thy house be like the house of Pharaoh's and Ta- who Tamar bore unto Judah, 
of the seed of which the Lord shall give thee of thee this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she was his wife, and she went in unto he went in unto her. The Lord gave her conception, and she bare a son. And the woman said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord God, which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in all Israel. And he shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life, and a nourisher of thine old age. For thy daughter-in-law, which loveth thee, is better to thee than seven sons. Which is better to him than seven sons hath born him. So, we see Ruth making this declaration in Ruth chapter 1. And in Ruth chapter 4, we see the culmination that Ruth had been faithful to that call. And had, and had truly stood in the gap for Naomi. And now Naomi is benefiting from the fact that Ruth married Boaz and would be cared for for the rest of her life. Incidentally, I believe this is the way that the family should function today. We need to care for our extended family. I don't know about you, but I like to watch the old television show, The Waltons. And one of the things I really like about it is it's a multi-generational show because you have the seven children, you have the parents, and then the grandparents. They all live together in one house. And they all benefit from living together and being together as a family. And I, and I think that that is really a good way for, for people to live because we need, again, to be thinking about the generations and to care for one another. We need to get out of our mind and our vocabulary this idea that a generation gap exists that cannot be surmounted. We need to learn from those who are older and teach those who are younger. I believe this will keep us challenged and walking closely with the Lord throughout our lives. And so, it's just amazing to see the story that God is weaving here in the book of Ruth. And I think that if we look back on our, our own lives, we can see how God has woven a great story for us. I'm very thankful for the spiritual legacy that I have of having four grandparents that loved and honored the Lord and then being born to two parents that love and honor the Lord. They're going to celebrate uh, 45 years of marriage here in a few weeks, and I'm so very thankful for that. The events of the last nine months are described in one sentence of 15 Hebrew words, including five verbs. We are given no details concerning the kind of marriage ceremony that united Boaz and Ruth. Neither are we told how much time had elapsed between their marriage and the birth of their first son. But we do know that Ruth went from loneliness to love, toil to rest, poverty to wealth, worry to assurance, despair to hope. And so did you and I, the moment the Spirit swept us into the kingdom of heaven, by grace, through faith, and the satisfactory substitutionary sacrifice of our great kinsman redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. That is from Precept Austin, 
which I would recommend as a wonderful Bible study resource. It collects um, Bible study help from all over and puts it in one convenient place. Just want to look at a couple of quick cross references here too. Ruth 2, 11 and 12. Ruth 2, 11 and 12. But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told me. And how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. So we're seeing the fulfillment of that in Ruth chapter 4. Boaz prays that God will bless Ruth and then he is able to be the vehicle through which God brings that blessing. Psalm 37, 5 and 6. Psalm 37, 5 and 6. Commit my way unto the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth our righteousness as the light, and our judgment as the end. This is a tough verse, set of verses. Because we can naively think, and I have in the past, that it means that if I commit to the Lord, everything will work out the way I want it to. That's not what it's saying. It says, commit thy way unto the Lord and he will bring it to pass. And thy righteousness shall shine as the noonday. What's he going to bring to pass? He's going to bring it to pass his perfect will for me. And his perfect will for you. His will can't be stopped. Jesus was born and placed in a manger. Herod tried to kill him, but God protected him because his will would be done. Throughout the Gospels, people tried to kill or arrest Jesus. And what is the phrase that keeps coming up time and time again until that final week? His time had not yet come. Even when he was about to be cast over a cliff, it says that he passed through the crowd and went his way. I don't know how he did it. Since he is both human and divine, I tend to think that he just made himself invisible and walked away. He who made blind eyes see can certainly make seeing eyes blind. As a matter of fact, that was the prayer of Brother Andrew when he would go into the iron, when he would go past the iron curtain with the Bible. He said, "Lord, make these seeing eyes blind." He never if you read his stories, you'll find that he never had to lie and tell them that he didn't have religious literature when he did. He was simply able to evade them by having their eyes go blind because God wanted his word to go forth. The final cross-reverence for this point is Matthew 6.33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added unto you. If we put the kingdom of God first, we'll never know what God is going to do 
And often the thing that he does is far better than what we could ever even imagine. I feel like the Dykstra story is testament to that. We have one final section as we finish up this chapter. And to me, it's really exciting because God is so good in that he finishes what he starts. He tells us on a personal level, he who has begun a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. In Ruth 4, 16 to 22, we read, And Naomi took the child and laid it in her bosom and became a nurse unto it. And the woman, her neighbors, gave it a name, saying, There is a son born to Naomi, and they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these be the generations of Pharaoh. Pharaoh begot Hezron, and Hezron begot Ram, and Ram begot Aminadab, and Aminadab begot Nashon, and Nashon begot Salmon, and Salmon begot Boaz, and Boaz begot Obed, and Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David. And the genealogy in Matthew chapter 1 would tell us that 14 generations later, Mary begot Jesus. Do you realize there's at least not one, but two Gentile believers in the family tree of Jesus? And I believe that one of the reasons why Boaz was so willing to take Ruth as his wife was because he's already seen his wife, or he'd already seen his father. He was following his father's example because his father not only took a Gentile to wife who had covenanted to become a Jew, but one who was a harlot. Rahab the harlot. But the thing is, when God comes into someone's life, he changes them from the inside out. Rahab was formerly a harlot, but she didn't stay a harlot. She became a believer in the true God of Israel and the mother of Boaz, who would be the husband of Ruth. It's a testament to the change that God can make in someone's life. That's why Jesus said, if you believe in me, you'll be passed from death to life. G. Campbell Morgan said, and I'll close with this, the book flings its light much further on. After centuries had run their course, there sprung from this union of Boaz and Ruth in faith and love, the man of Nazareth, Jesus, the one and only king of men, because he was not only a child born to Mary, descended from these, but also the son of God, in all the fullness of that title. Paul said in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. We are living in a time where there's a lot of false teachers who are using the Bible to say what they wanted to say for their own nefarious purposes. But if you run into someone who claims to be preaching the word of God and they do not believe that Jesus is the Son of God, fully God, and fully man at the same time. Disregard what they have to say. 
That is the foundation of our faith. And not only was he fully God and fully man, he is fully God and fully man because he was the Son of God before he entered into the womb of Mary and he will be the Son of God for all eternity. Hebrews says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that is the God whom we serve today. The same one who brought Ruth and Naomi safely into the heart and house of Boaz. So my encouragement to the men here today is to be a Boaz in a broken world that desperately needs them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this story of Ruth that we just finished this morning. We pray that it would be a blessing to the hearers. And we pray that you would do great and mighty things as we surrender to you. In Jesus' name, amen.